These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. Support for our podcast and the following message comes from Morgan Stanley, a proud sponsor of StoryCorps. Morgan Stanley is committed to giving back and to fostering meaningful dialogue among people and communities. MorganStanley.com. StoryCorps has been around for almost two decades, and these recorded conversations are basically time capsules. That was the case for this couple. My name is Joshua Nantes. I am 29 years old. Today is February 15th, 2009. Gabriel McGowan. I'm 27 years old. I'm in Los Angeles, California, and Josh is my partner of 10 years. When they came to StoryCorps, they talked about a lot that day, like their identities, their differences, and their love. That was more than a decade ago. And just recently, Gabriel reached out to us. He wanted the recording because Josh had died back in 2014 and he wanted to hear his voice again. But he also had another request. I asked to do the updated recording because I don't want Josh's story and my story to be lost. And there was so much that wasn't said at the time. In this episode, we're going to hear some of that update. And what we'll find is often things are much more complicated than they seem. If I could use two adjectives to describe our relationship, it would be exhilarating and terrifying. And sometimes there's a chance to tell the full story. It's the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm Camila Kashani. Gabriel McGowan met Joshua Nantes in the late 1990s in Southern California. Back then, dating looked a little different. They were in their late teens, and they used America Online. You know, the social media before social media, where you could meet people and join chat rooms. Josh was really into the singer Ani DeFranco. So he did a search for other guys in the area who liked her too. And he found Gabriel. We started chatting, and I asked him to send me a photo. This being the dial-up days, I remember sitting in front of my computer, and the photo loaded so slowly. And then I saw his smile and his full face. I did not have very high self-confidence at that time. So the fact that this guy who was just gorgeous, could have any interest in me, blew my mind. And he kept talking to me. Our first date was about a week later. He was an hour late, and I was beyond nervous. I barely spoke. And then I remember one other moment. We were sitting in the car together, parked outside his parents' place. And we had been sitting there for like two hours. I wanted to kiss him so badly, but I could not bring up the guts to do it. He just turned to me and he's like, if you do not kiss me by midnight, I am going inside. 
and I'm turning into a pumpkin. I waited till 11.59. I was just like, oh my God, I love him. They fell in love. And when they came to StoryCorps, it was right around a pretty big anniversary. Did you ever think that you were going to be in a relationship for 10 years? You know, you're the second person that I'd ever dated, and you were so different and so beyond anything I'd ever known. I was just a little overwhelmed. He was everything that I had been told to stay away from. He smoked, he drank, went out to clubs, he went out to gay clubs. He just did not care what people thought of him. And, you know, on the one hand, I was scared of him, but I was also just completely transfixed. In a lot of ways, Josh and Gabriel were complete opposites. Josh was raised in a conservative home, and Gabriel a really liberal one. And while Josh grew up to be a confident gay man, Gabriel stayed pretty guarded. My mom, she had always told me when I was a kid that if she could put me in a bubble and protect me from all the evils of the world, she would have. She really tried to insulate me from anything that she thought was bad. And so it created this idea in my head that life is just very black and white. There are certain things that are good. There are certain things that are bad. And you want to always stay away from the bad stuff. Realizing I was gay was kind of the first time that I was like, wait a minute, there's this part of me that is, quote unquote, bad. Growing up, I would work very hard at passing as straight. And I remember when I first met Josh, one of the hardest things for me was feeling like anyone who would see me with him would know that he was gay and that by association, you know, that I'm gay too. At this point in his life, Josh was unapologetically himself. But it wasn't always that way. I remember a story that he told me. His parents had put him in a religious elementary school, and he had come home from school on a particular day, and he hid under the bed and prayed that the flamboyance that was a part of him could just be taken away. And he said he felt, like, ashamed that God could see the type of person that he was. And if he could hide who he was, that maybe he could make that part of him go away. He wore who he was on his shirt sleeve, and he didn't have a choice to hide it. Gabriel asked Josh more about this in their 2009 recording. When you were growing up, your parents were very religious and... They're both ordained ministers, and you would go out and get dressed up in drag and perform. And your mom would want to turn her head when you came out into the, into the house. I wonder how that made you feel about yourself. That was definitely like one of the formative times in my life where I was really exploring who I was. And I was always hurt that they couldn't take part in that part of my life at all, that they wanted to turn their heads like they were ashamed but Josh did eventually get that acceptance from his parents that he'd longed for. Later in his life, his mom ended up getting lung cancer, and she had about a year where she was starting to really decline. And they would sit on the couch together, and they would watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I just remember that being so important to Josh that 
His mom could truly appreciate who he was in a way that she never could before, and his confidence had come full circle. One of my favorite memories of Josh is we were driving down the freeway, and he had the windows open. He wore L.A. Looks hair gel. And I remember the scent and the cologne that he wore kind of mixed with cigarettes. And he had this song playing. um, And the song was The Ballad of Lucy Jordan by Marianne Faithful. The evening sun touched gently on the eyes of Lucy Jordan on the rooftop where she climbed. I just felt so happy and so free. Like I had found a life that was just completely cut off to me. He had opened up this universe to me that I never thought I could be a part of. And I don't know that it became less exciting as much as it became more unstable. Some fractures had started to show up in their relationship. I know in our original StoryCorps interview, I asked him, when did he first know he loved me? And he said... I remember that first year that we were together, thinking that I might lose you. That's kind of when I realized that I really loved you. And he didn't mention why he thought he was going to lose me. At the top of the episode, we hinted that things aren't always what they seem. But Gabriel didn't know until later was that Josh had been carrying around a huge secret for the first year of their relationship. We'll find out what that was after the break. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Subaru, featuring the 2022 Subaru Forester Wilderness. Equipped with 9.2 inches of ground clearance, all-terrain capability, standard symmetrical all-wheel drive, and a design that's bold and protective at the same time, the Forester Wilderness unlocks a whole new level of adventure. Discover more at Subaru.com wilderness. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR. Welcome back. Josh and Gabriel came to StoryCorps after being together for 10 years. We've been listening to parts of that conversation. But what we haven't heard is what was left unsaid. And just a note, the rest of the story involves some sensitive topics, like drug abuse, overdose, and suicide. Let's go back to their first date. Gabriel said that Josh was about an hour late. We were out at dinner, and out of nowhere, he just pulled up his sleeve And there was, like, a line in the middle of his arm. And I had no idea what that was. And I'm like, 
are you okay? Like, are you sick? What's going on? He's like, it's a track mark. Because Gabriel grew up sheltered, he didn't know much about drug use or drug abuse. When I was in high school, I got selected to be a student ambassador to the D.A.R.E. program, the Drug Abuse Resistance Education. My school sent me to this series of workshops where, like, some nurse gave us these presentations on the dangers of drugs. They told us if you did ecstasy, you could start bleeding out of all of your pores. And I didn't know any better. Back then, Gabriel still moved through the world as if it was black and white, just like his mom had taught him. So he wasn't quite sure what to do. All he knew was that he loved Josh, and he'd do anything to stay with him. Josh promised Gabriel that his drug abuse was a thing of the past, and Gabriel took his word for it. And for a while, they went on with their relationship. But then Gabriel went through something really difficult in his own life. The second half of our relationship really started, and I can pinpoint the day. My dad called me, and he was like, have you talked to your mom? And I was like, no. My dad said, I've been trying to call her from work, and like she's not answering, which is weird for her. Gabriel's mom was found unconscious. She had bipolar disorder and struggled with mental illness. I went in to the ER, and she was just kind of like coming out of it, but she wasn't really very lucid. I was like, oh my God, hi, mom, like, what's going on? And the first thing she said to me, she's like, why didn't you let me die? And I was hysterical. I was just like sobbing. Josh ended up coming to the hospital, and... In the hospital waiting area, he pulled out this little tiny white crumb. And he's like, just take it. It'll make you feel better. It was a little tiny piece of a morphine tablet that he had gotten from his mom. In that moment, I was like, okay. If it's going to make me feel better, okay. The whole like dare thing never really came up because it was a pill. Like, it was medicine, and it was prescription medicine, and his mom was a nurse practitioner, and, you know, it just felt different than buying heroin on the street. Within 15 minutes, I just felt this rush of warmth, like putting a really cozy jacket on, and you don't feel the cold, and, like, all the feelings that came with what was happening were blunted. Whatever I needed to do in this moment to handle it, whatever I needed to say to my mom, I could do that. I could say that. Gabriel had always been someone that dealt with anxiety. And now he was also trying to cope with the realities of his life at home. He realized he could self-medicate to control his emotions, whether it was a bottle of prescription cough syrup from the bathroom cabinet or a piece of a pill that Josh would offer him. As time went on, I started really enjoying it beyond just situations where I couldn't sleep or I was really anxious. Then I was like, well, you know, I also get nervous in staff meetings. I get nervous meeting new people. Those were all occasions for pills. And it started becoming from, you know, a couple times a month to 
every weekend to a couple times a week. Gabriel started building a tolerance, and his friends could tell something was wrong. It became less and less about getting high and more about fighting off the withdrawal to just feel normal. And as he kept doing drugs, so did Josh. And their lives started revolving more and more around using. But they kept it pretty secret from the outside world. When Josh and Gabriel came to StoryCorps together, they were both years into their addictions. Neither of us would have ever acknowledged it. We never brought up our addiction during the original recording, but listening back to it, I can hear the cracks. If you could talk to us back in, like, year one or two, when everything was just so dramatic and in your face, what would you say? To be kind to each other. I think it took us a while to get to that point where we've really accepted each other for who the other person really is. I don't know if I agree that we've come to accept each other for who we are. I think that's our next step. I think we've come to have a sense of humor about who we are, and we've come to... Be compassionate with each other. Yeah, but not to accept yet. What do you think it's going to take? I think that we're both really resistant to change. And so I think it's going to take both of us coming to terms with some of the challenges that we both face. And definitely coming to grips with some of the choices that I made. Repeated attempts at rehab led to fights, which led to more drinking and more drug use. The most important thing to both of us was getting and staying high. It went from going over to his place and not knowing what we were going to do to going over to his place and not knowing what condition I was going to find him in. My life felt like a day-to-day, I don't know if I'm going to get drugs or detox or overdose. And for someone who prided himself on things being so under control, everything just felt terrifyingly out of control. At one point, Gabriel overdosed only to be brought back, waking up in the shower. Their drug supply had also started to become more precarious. And Gabriel hit a breaking point. I had a nightmare that I've had many times. I'm, like, trying to call him, and I can't find him. Then I don't know if he's okay. And that's what it was like. I'd broken up with him a million times already, given him a million ultimatums. But something was different. I just called him, and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to die, and I don't want to watch you die. And I'm really sorry. Less than a year after they broke up, in 2014, Joshua Nantes died from complications of drug and alcohol abuse. He was 35 years old. Even before we met, I knew I was looking for somebody that I wanted to spend my life with, somebody that I could love and be with and would be there for me, that we could grow old together. Like, Do you really want to grow old? I mean, I mean, I know that's something that gives you a lot of anxiety, and you know, you're going to be 30 this year. 
Oh, thanks for bringing that one up. <laughs> I mean, how how do you feel about that? I'm proud of where I am, but there's definitely different senses of loss in terms of uh, everything that I thought I would have achieved at this point. And it took me a very long time to learn that we all have our faults. We're all insecure. But you have taught me so much about accepting people, not even in spite of flaws, but because of flaws, things aren't black and white. You know, you showed me a whole lot of color, and I'm really, really grateful for that. People might look at us and think, what a messy relationship. There's two people who just made a lot of really bad choices. Yeah, we we did make some really bad choices. We also loved each other a lot, and we both really wanted each other to be happy and to to be okay. I think the hardest part of telling our story is that it was our story, and... I just wish he was still here to tell his side of it. It's very hard even now to not blame myself for what happened. I feel like the next lesson that I have to learn is to forgive myself for ending the relationship. But wherever he is, I feel like he is presenting me opportunities to talk about us and him and me and to be kind to myself in retelling those stories. That was Gabriel McGowan remembering Joshua Nantes. Gabriel went on to earn his master's degree in social work and he's a therapist now. He helps people who are leaving prison transition back into the community. Since then, he started working more and more with clients who struggle with addiction. That's all for this episode of the StoryCorps podcast. It was produced by our lead producer, Eleanor Vasily, and me. It was edited by Jared Sport, who's our senior producer. Our associate producer is Max Young-Rice. Our technical director is Jarrett Floyd, who also composed our theme song. Our fact checker is Erica Anderson. Jasmine Morris is our story consultant. Special thanks to Lauren Smith and Whitney Henry Lester. To see what music we use in the episode, go to storycore.org, where you can also check out original artwork by Lynn Lucia. For the StoryCorps podcast, I'm Camila Kashani. Catch you next week. Support for this podcast comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. 
On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. (laughs) Dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at Life Kit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR.